Ecclesiastes chapter 5 is quite a chapter. It has a lot in it, and as we look at it today, we're going to try to uh, make certain we get a good overview of it. But you know, to start out the day, remember what today is. Today is Palm Sunday, right? On this day, our Lord entered Jerusalem for the last time to begin his last week and those last rounds of ministry that he would have, the last things he would say before then he would enter that time of uh, great uh, suffering and that he would be crucified, die on the cross for our sins, and then rise again from the dead. And next week, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we'll be commemorating his resurrection. But it all began with his entering the city. It began with that because this put in motion all of those last events that would uh, allow him to do that which God had designed from before the foundations of the world, that he would be our savior. So as we think of that, and as I think of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, uh, the connection that came to my mind was the fact that Ecclesiastes chapter 5 tells us at the very start to guard your steps when you enter the house of God. And we need to find out what that means and look at what that means. But our Savior entered Jerusalem on this day in order that he might do the will of his Father. He'd be fully obedient even unto the death of the cross. And so we have in him a supreme example of obedience, the type of obedience that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Marvin? But you know what this day was in the Jewish the temple economy? Go ahead and tell us. This was lamb selection day. Yes. This was the day that they selected their lamb to be sacrificed on Passover. Right. The lamb selection day and our lamb entered Jerusalem on this day. All right. You know what day it is on Lions today? It's the day that uh, OLP, which the Catholic Church, has all kinds of people selling their own flowers. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. All right, so let's get to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. As we're looking at chapter 5, let's keep in mind where we've come from in the book. Let's remember that we learned in chapter 3, verse 11, that God had set eternity in our hearts. That tells us that he has an interest in that and that we have a desire for it. We were also told in chapter 3, verse 17, that God will right all the wrongs. He will judge, he will bring justice to the earth. That means there's a future hope there. And in chapter 4, as we came to it the last two weeks, remember we saw all of the ongoing problems that we face by being fallen sinners living in a fallen world. And all of those issues that we face, uh, the issues of, uh, of wrongs, of oppression, of loneliness, of all the things we talked about in chapter 4, have set us up and prepared us for an answer to those wrongs and to those problems that are so persistent. Uh, Solomon then brings us along in his investigation to show that after he saw all of those difficulties in chapter 4, he's going to give us the solution. He's going to give us the answer. And it's in our relationship to God. And it's chapter 5 that talks about that relationship. And it, there's a fascinating play that goes on here because if you uh, look down in verse 20, the last verse of chapter 5, 
You'll see there it says, because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. That word occupied could also be translated answered. It could also be translated afflicted. And if you look back at chapter 1, verse 13, you have the same word. And that is the word where it says a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. It's the same word. But back in chapter 1, we see the affliction, but we don't see the answer. And then we come to chapter 3, verse 10, just before talking about God setting eternity in our hearts. And in verse 10, it says, I have seen the task, that task that was mentioned in chapter 1, verse 13, that God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves, the same word. And so we look at it from those two verses and we say, but, but this is the problem, this is the affliction, this is the task, where's the answer? And the answer comes in chapter 5. And when it wraps up, it reminds us of that answer. And it connects back with what we saw in chapter 2 as well. In other words, chapter 5 is going to give us a message that every one of us who lives under the sun, and we all do, we're all here, we're still in this life, so we're living under the sun, we must have a perspective that goes beyond the sun. We must have a perspective that includes God in our lives. So then our question that is going to be partially answered in chapter 5 is how do we prepare for life beyond the sun? How do we prepare for life beyond the sun? The first answer, worship. Worship. Verses 1 to 3, we're going to be talking about worship. What we do even today as we meet together and as we worship God, as we sing praises, as we listen to God's word, is preparation for life beyond the sun. It's worship, verses 1 to 3. And then vows, promises, commitments, obligations are involved in verses 4 through 6. We prepare ourselves for life beyond the sun by fulfilling our, our spiritual commitments that we have here now. And there's, we'll talk about that when we get to it. What kind of vows are there? What kind of vows can we make? Uh, how does this fit with the New Testament's teachings? All of those things are involved here. It boils down to a summary that Solomon gives in verse 7 to fear God. Fear God. And this is going to be a theme that he's going to come back to again and again throughout the book. The book will conclude with the same theme. And justice. The pursuit of justice is talked about in verse 8. Money in verses 10 through 17. How we relate to money. You say, well, wait a minute. How, how do I prepare for life beyond the sun and you've got money involved in this equation? Uh, how does that compute? I thought money was evil. Well, remember what Jesus said about the manna? He said we need to be good stewards of the manna the manna, the mammon of wickedness, because by it we purchase what? By a proper use of the wicked mammon, the money, we do what? We purchase friends in eternity. And we need to think about that. We need to look at how, how is that possible? What's going on here? You know, sometimes you and I get this idea that everything in our life can be spiritualized except our money. Everything can be spiritualized except uh, 
paying bills and, and doing business. And yet, the way Christ taught and the way the entire Bible is taught, our spirituality shows in how we use our money and what we do with our money. And that it, it, it isn't money that's wicked or evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil, not money itself. And money is one of those God-given things that we are to learn how to use properly to his glory. So you may look at that and say, wow, uh, I don't know if I can do that. That just seems to be so mundane, it's so secular, it's so non-spiritual. How do I manage that? Well, that's one of the things we need to talk about. And the one big thing that comes out of this is just, I, I think, one of the most amazing pictures. Remember that in chapter 4, our theme was two by two. And it talked about companionship, the necessity of companionship. And remember, we applied it before we left last week that we have companions, and we have three heavenly companions, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And chapter 5 focuses on that and really lets us know that God provides a greater companionship than anything else we can have in this world. Beyond friends, beyond family, beyond the church itself, God is our greater companion. There's another way to outline all of this. There's a focus on, uh, on God, a focus on government, on gold, and on gift. The four G's in chapter 5 as we go through and look at it. Let's approach the presence of God first. In our time, I think we'd all agree that there is a lack of reverence for God and for the things of God. And we sometimes get to where we so commonalize everything in the church in the way we do things uh, and conduct ourselves that uh, reverence is lost. We forget that God is holy. He is the Holy One. And we must have a reverence for the holy. There are four commands that Solomon gives to try to teach us to recover that reverence for what is holy in uh, our lives. First of all, to guard our steps in verse 1. Second of all, to draw near to listen. Third, don't be hasty in word or thought. And fourth, let your words be few. Maybe I'll just quit now and sit down. <laughs> uh, we do need to, to be able to focus. We need to be able to listen. When we come for worship, I find this so fascinating. Uh, Solomon's focus here is on coming to listen. Now, what does coming to listen imply then? If, if coming to listen is, is what we are to, to do, what does that involve? Well, listen in the scriptures is another word for obey. Obey. So when he says guard your steps on your way or in, as you enter worship, what does he mean by that? I think that he means to be obedient first and foremost. Uh, Psalm 17, 4 to 5. As for the deeds of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept from the paths of, violent, of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Notice there, our feet. If we're guarding our feet, we keep to the paths of God. Where do we learn about those paths? We learn about it in his word. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. 
Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet. See that? Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Now, let's ask a question here. and It may be just a little bit early than, than what I have it on the slides here, but that's all right. We'll get to it later on the skip by it. How do we guard our feet in preparation for worship? You're coming, here's Palm Sunday, coming to church. We're coming, we're gathering together to worship. How can we guard our feet? How can we prepare ourselves for worship? I've said very little so far, but I've given you a few implications, a few things to say. Jared? Okay, keeping our eyes straight ahead, keeping focused. All right, Diet? All right. Okay. Good. Good night's sleep. Preparing our hearts. Yes, Betty. Okay. Okay. Confession of sin. Obeying First John one nine. <coughs> Confessing our sins that we might be forgiven. Tom. Okay, so focus on what Christ has done. Okay, Anna? Pray that God would um, show what he would have us to um, learn from the preaching Okay, start praying ahead of time. Lord, what do you have for me to learn from the message this morning? AJ? That's what I was going to say. That's what you're going to say. Okay, Aaron? So we should begin by being obedient all week, right? Good point. Okay, over here. I, I did a lot over here on this right side. Let's come over here. Okay. Anyone over here? Anything to add? Listen to quiet. They're not awake. They're not awake. No, they're already obeying. Keep the words <laughs> cute. <laughs> yes, Donna. Exalting Christ as our Lord. Yeah. Recognize he's totally in control and being willing to give him everything. Everything that we have. Great. Good. Some, anything else from this side? You're so quiet this morning. We'll get back to you. I know you have more to say. Yes. Butch. So we need to just be busy all week, don't we? Preparation for worship on Sunday, 
is a lifelong process where we throughout the entire week are being obedient to the word. We are in the word. We are recognizing the lordship of Christ in our lives. And we are keeping short accounts. We're making certain that we not only take our sins before the Lord and confess them as soon as possible, but we also keep short accounts with those uh, with whom we have problems or difficulties, that we settle those accounts, that we take care of, of issues uh, between one another. Uh, we must not approach worship lightly. That's, that's one of the main things here that is being talked about. There has to be an intentional preparation. And as I put it up here, heart, head, and hand. How we think, how we feel, and what we do, and even where we go, our feet. Uh, we must worship in spirit and in truth. Remember, that's one of the things that Jesus taught us in John chapter 4 with the woman from Samaria. And the idea that God seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the insight. That's our minds, our hearts. And in truth is the idea of indeed, truly, that we, we do it uh, in every possible way. It, it permeates our lives, not just our thinking and not just our feeling. When we talk about the house of God here, it's very clearly here the temple. Uh, after all, there are sacrifices mentioned, and there's nowhere else to offer the sacrifices in Judaism. They did not offer those at synagogues. Uh, I think, again, here we've mentioned this already about obedience to the word in our private life is how we prepare for public worship together. And there's the question I was thinking there, and I just put it up early, and we already answered it, and we'll move on there. Uh, one of the other ways is... Yeah, when we talk about drawing near to listen, listen's not just obedience, it presupposes that there's something being said. So basically, when, when Solomon says this, he's not thinking that you go to the temple and all you do is pray or all you do is offer a sacrifice. You go there to hear something from God. You're going to listen. There, must ha there has to be something to listen to. And the idea is that listening to is the spoken word and it's that which God has given. And if we listen, the idea is not just to be hearers only, lest we deceive our own selves, as James said, but that we obey, we do those things. It's very interesting. The same phraseology found here in uh, Ecclesiastes 5 is found in Deuteronomy 5. Go near, that's that draw near. And hear, that's listen. All that the Lord our God says, then speak to us all that the Lord our God speaks to you. And what? We will hear and do it. We will hear and do it. That's where we're to be. And I think Solomon had that in mind as he's talking about drawing near to listen. Uh, whoops. That's, there we go. There we go. Yes. Tom. That's right. Exactly. That's right. So we're capable of worshiping anywhere, anytime, right? That's right. Yeah. Notice he says, don't come and offer what? The sacrifice of fools. When we think about the sacrifice of fools, what, what is it? Uh, did someone bring a sacrifice that didn't qualify? that didn't meet the qualifications of being without blemish and spotless? Uh, did they bring a strange fire like Nadab and Abihu when they brought it to the uh, tabernacle and were destroyed by God? Okay, that's right. 
And that's, that's the main point, because it's not, that's a sacrifice brought by uh, people that are bringing the wrong thing. It's the idea they're bringing wrong. Remember Cain and his sacrifice? Why wasn't he accepted by God? Well, it wasn't because he brought veggies, it was because his heart was wrong. He had no faith. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, Abel's sacrifice was accepted because of his faith. And this word for fool, we'll see the word for fool, folly, foolishness occurs many times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It occurs three times here in chapter 5, and it's always that word that uh, has the idea not of being lacking in the area of mental equipment, but if you'll see there on page 33 of your handout, I've given you four things in the third paragraph that I've numbered for you that this fool is described by. Notice he does not engage in a pursuit of wisdom. That makes him a fool. Number two, he manifests a spiritual rather than a mental problem. And third, he enjoys his folly. And fourth, he has no reverence for truth. And fifth, he's a menace in society. This type of person is, is dull in spiritual matters and spiritual things. We're not talking about mental foolishness. We're talking here about spiritual foolishness. And look at the way that the verse ends uh, in verse 1. For they do not know they are doing evil. Now, that's the ultimate in foolishness. To bring sacrifices to the house of God and not offer them by faith and not realize what we did was evil. Think of Cain again. Cain couldn't figure it out. Why was my sacrifice not accepted? Why was Abel's accepted? He did not know that he did evil because he's blinded by that. He, he's blinded by the fact that his attitude was not right. He did not offer by faith. Now, part of that results in being hasty. And there are two cautions here about hastiness in verse 2. And one is about hastiness with regard to the mouth, and the other is hastiness with regard to the heart. We don't often think about that. Why do we speak hastily or act in haste? What causes us to do that type of thing? Why do we do that? Pardon? Okay, we don't stop to think. What else? What causes... Just think of the last time you did something in haste or hastily, foolishly in haste. What caused you to do that? What were the circumstances or what, what brought about? AJ? For me, um, when I, it's usually everything is an outflow of my heart. So, like, if I respond to somebody, it's like we, we do so many, so many things as a result of, like, how we feel or how, you know, like, we're supposed to do how, like, in mental processes, but a lot of times that's why abiding in Christ is so necessary because it's like, if we're abiding everything we do is a result of that, so a lot of times my heart motive and my heart and like where my heart's at is where what I'll do and influences how I think and what okay. I say. So guard our hearts. Jared? Pardon? Okay, impatience. Those, that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm looking for here too. Impatience, yes. Anger, right. Good. We're getting to it. Jan. Uh, uh, trying to please others rather than God. Okay. Trying to please others rather than God. Becky? Okay. Nervous. Nervousness. Pride. Pride. Excellent. We're hitting them. Gina? Because we think we're right. Okay. Because we think we're right. 
without thinking, without checking to see if we're right with God? Yes, Lucille? Fear. Fear. That's one of them I was looking for and watching. Yes, Daya? All right, an incomplete spirituality and, a, and an incomplete spiritual approach to life. Okay, these are all the things we do it for, isn't it? Now, one of the amazing things to me is the word that is translated here as to not be hasty is a word that in other passages of scripture is translated being dismayed, terrified, or fearful. Because that's one of the primary reasons. And if you really think about it, even pride gets there. We're, we're afraid of, of, of losing face, you see? Or nervousness, because we're afraid of the unknown or what's going to happen. And so these are the reasons, all of these that were mentioned, these are reasons we act in haste. And when we see those things, we need to be cautious. And it all begins in the heart. How we react in the heart, how hasty we are inside us, in our minds and our thoughts, is going to translate into what we say and what we do. And that, that results in haste. We must learn to limit our words. Why? Because God is in heaven. And uh, the idea here is not that he's far, far away and can't see us and can't interact with us. The idea is, is yes, he's beyond the sun, but he is greater than anything in the world. He's the creator. He's the Lord. And so it's more than distance being talked about. It's the idea that he is greater than all. And notice the contrast that is talked about there in, in that uh, third verse. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. The dream and much effort. This is what distracts us from worship as we get involved in things. If you look on page 34, you'll see there a few of the notes about dream and much effort on page 34, the second paragraph there at the top. And I've got there an explanation that these are those distractions uh, that keep us away from proper worship. Uh, it's, it's probably the idea that they're, 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 we're deluded by something. We're deluded by what we think is our competence before God. I have to tell you, our elders had a fantastic retreat Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I, I, I know you were praying for us because of all the retreats over the past 13 years I've been an elder here at Placerita Baptist Church, this one stands out to me as probably the, mo the deepest, richest experience we've had together as a group of elders. The times of prayer were far deeper and more precious than ever before. Uh, the times of mutual encouragement and upbuilding and confession were, were so good and rich. Uh, the times of the business, we had such a unity in each and every topic that we approached and each thing we looked at with regard to the church and where we're headed in the church and what we're planning and all the different things. It, it was just one of those amazing things. We, I felt that we really knitted together as a unity in the elders that was just, just remarkable. And I think, when I, when I think of that, I think that this idea that... Uh, if we as elders approach our task as thinking we are competent in and of ourselves to do what we need to do as elders, we will fail. Remember Paul said in 2 Corinthians that none of us is sufficient for the task of ministry. None of us. Our sufficiency, our adequacy comes from God and God alone. And, and that came out of our sessions 
very, very strong. If I were to qualify and define that retreat, it would be that that's the lesson that we came away with that's just knit into our hearts. And you see, if we then do not have that type of attitude of, of our adequacy and sufficiency being God, which ties into a lot of things you've been mentioning this morning on how to prepare for worship, why we act in haste, is, is not realizing that it's God who is doing the work. One of the things was one of our bylines there is that this is God's church, not my church, not the elders' church, not even your church. It is God's church. And we must have that attitude. And therefore, we must put self aside and our desires aside completely to do God's will for God's church because it's by the blood of Christ that these people, all of us, were purchased and we belong to him. And uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see that, how it works out in, in everyday life. James 1.19 brings us up. Uh, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear. What? Slow to speak. And slow to anger. Notice it's the opposite of haste. The opposite of haste, but begins by being quick to listen. Five more commands. There are nine commands in this chapter. We saw the first four. Look at the next five. Don't be late in fulfilling any promises or commitments you make. Pay what you vow. Pay what you promise. Fulfill it. Don't let your speech cause you to sin. Don't say that it was a mistake. Sometimes we want to get out of a commitment by saying, oh, it's just a mistake. And above all else, fear God. Fear God. Now, our time's almost up, and obviously we're not going to get all the way through chapter 5. And I might just give you a couple of words of explanation here about what's happening over the next few weeks. Um, we've got chapter 5 here we can still continue on and do. I want you to take this home. I want you to read through the whole thing. I want you to look at the questions at the end. I want you to think about those questions, pray about them. I want you to bring this packet back with you. Uh, there are four sheets here. It's the longest you've had so far, and that's because of the elders retreat and everything else, a very busy week. I didn't have time to pare down the 18 to 20 pages of material I had to six. I stopped at eight last night and uh, finished printing it this morning at about 12.30 and finally got to bed. But uh, bring this back with you, please. Uh, help us uh, conserve on the costs and on the expense of, of uh, providing these and uh, keeping them uh, for us to use. Uh, keep it somewhere nearby. Read it. Don't just have it just as uh, something that, uh, well, it, this is a handout and I'll read it someday. Please prepare your hearts. Remember we talked about preparing for worship? Prepare for the next class by reading through that, thinking about it, coming in fully ready to engage in, in the conversation we have and, and discussion we have of these things. Next Sunday is uh, Resurrection Sunday. We will all be meeting as one body, all the church, in the gym at Master's College over here. And uh, so come for that. There will be no Sunday school classes, no adult Bible fellowships, no evening service, just that one service. Please come and be, be there with us for that grand time of fellowship and worship. Use all week to prepare. Remember, our Savior in Jerusalem prepared and ready to serve us on this day. And we're going to see the fruit of that dedication and commitment in 
commemorating his resurrection next Sunday. The following Sunday, TJ will be in here to uh, teach the class. He will be in here to uh, share in what they've been doing in India, to give a report and to guide us in that. Uh, it's the Sunday after my surgery, so I probably won't even be here. Uh, and we had him lined up for this before we even knew I'd have surgery. Uh, Lord had that all planned ahead of time. So uh, come and enjoy that because uh, he's, he and Karen are really wonderful missionaries out of this body. They, they were through this church. We sent them out. I want you to be here and really show them your love and support for them and for their ministry. So please be here uh, two weeks from today. And then, Lord willing, we'll go back and work on Ecclesiastes. And I keep telling Mike, we're going to get through Ecclesiastes. We're going to turn this over again so the men here can be teaching again this summer. And if you read through this, you, I, I want you to see what really strikes you in this handout on Ecclesiastes 5 and what piques your interest for a future study. I, I'm very interested to see because one of the things that we've touched upon here is actually one of the studies we've talked about offering for the summer. So it'll be a good test, won't it, Mike? All right? Let's bow in prayer. Father, how we do thank you and praise you for your great goodness. Lord, we thank you for Ecclesiastes chapter 5 that reminds us that there is an answer, and it's in you to all the trials and pressures and troubles and problems of this life even beginning with our own problems as fallen men and women. And we, we just pray that we might realize that all the more, that we might turn to you, that we might realize you are our greater companion. And we pray that as we move through this coming few weeks that we will constantly live in the light of realizing that we need to prepare every day for our worship together as a body. And we praise you for the times of, of, of worship both in the elders meeting and the praise meeting on Friday night at the church, the prayer meeting last night here at the church, and uh, the, the various prayer meetings that have gone on around this valley and the various homes and gatherings of the small uh, Bible study groups. We just pray that that might continue and our hearts might be, be knit together in worshiping you in the right fashion. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.